Welcome to episode 67 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. I am in the dreaded part of my school year where I am trying to get my schedule set for the school year. And I was just thinking about that and how to do it and um, some tips I could give you guys. And if you're doing that, and there are some things that are different when we're doing it through telepractice. So the biggest thing is just not being there physically in the building. It's so much easier when you can like run to a teacher's classroom and be like, when can I see this kid? (laughs) And so I was looking for some tips on that. And I um, found a YouTube channel by Amy Wu. And she uh, had a little vlog post where she was talking about this too. So she talked about making sure that you have a contact at the school who can help. So maybe it's a paraprofessional who will be physically bringing the kids down to the sessions. Um, and this is, you know, when you're thinking about it in a school and, um, connecting with the kids that are at the school and, uh, you know, if you can't get with teachers that they can physically go down and just ask that teacher when is going to work for them. And then she talked about making sure you have the emails of all of the teachers and the names of them. I always like to, um, go to, once I find out what my school is going to be, go to their website. And so I can kind of put faces with names too, because they'll usually have like a faculty list and things like that. So I can kind of connect that and have a um, relationship with them. So when I'm saying I need to pull this kid out of your class, they know who I'm, who I am and who I'm talking about. And then some other things that she talked about was being really firm in your scheduling, you know, and communicating like, this is the only day I'm here. Cause usually when, if we're doing telepractice, we're not just at that one school on that one time or just working with one school. I will have two school districts this year. I've had, I usually have two school districts and I've had like up to three schools in one school year. So you kind of have to be firm and nope, this is the time that I have open for you. What can we do to make it work and making sure that you've set those boundaries. Um, and that has some advantages too, when we're doing telepractice, because I don't have to, you know, uh, think about as much like the, oh, how much time is it going to take me to go get this kid? You know, usually there's someone who can call them down and I feel a lot more efficient with my time doing telepractice than in person. But with that also, I think I forget that sometimes that walking down to the next class is my break in the day. And when I'm just going back to back to back all day long, I forget that I might need a break in the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So think about that too, when you're looking at your telepractice schedule and remember that just as much as you need to get out of the therapy room, when you're in person, you need to get out of the therapy room away from your computer, even when you're doing it online. Yep. You have to build in those breaks. Right. And, and, and. Give your eyes a rest and your brain a rest. Yep. Go, you know, go get some water, go to the bathroom, whatever yep. you might need to do. Go look outside at the birds or something, you know, just to, <laughs> uh, just to take that break. I, I agree yeah. with you 100%. I think, um, I think what I have 
heard about, uh, luckily I, I have more control over my own schedule, but what I've heard about is that, you know, a lot of administrators think, oh, we can just pile on, you know, since you're not doing, you know, since you're not doing in person, we can just give you more, you know, right. patients or more kids to see because right. you're only doing it through telepractice as if you can do much more just because it's online. Yeah. And, and I think we have to really guard against those things happening. Yeah, because I think sometimes the mental load can be even heavier too. That's right. That's right. I, uh, you know, I think you have to be on in that sense of really being focused and on more during telepractice. Yeah, because uh, there's still something that feels more uncomfortable about me like searching for something on the computer than if I was searching for something in my therapy room. Like if I had to go to the cabinet and find a game that we were going to play, I would like not give it a second thought of like, Oh, what are they going to do while I'm doing that? It's fine. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. But uh, there's something more uncomfortable about it on the computer. So it almost is like, you have to be more set up and ready to go than you would be on in person. I agree hundred percent. And I just, I don't think People think about it and they're getting into telepractice uh, as practitioners. And then I think administrators, some administrators just don't get it either. Um, Mm -hmm. They just think it's easier Mm -hmm. uh, or not as complicated. Um, So, yeah, I think we have to do our due diligence in making sure that we take care of ourselves and we educate those administrators and supervisors and making sure they understand what it takes to actually have a successful telepractice program. Right. Right. And it's something I'm still working on. I mean, I'm sitting here preaching this and then last year I saw like 14 (laughs) kids a day. So (laughs) it's something that I'm still working on too, but it's something to think about and to remember when and give yourself a break on. Yeah, I agree, 100%. So on today, we have some some really an old friend and a new friend joining us, um, um, Melissa Anderson and Hannah Eskridge from UNC Chapel Hill and the CASEL program. They're going to talk to us about uh, hearing loss and some teleaudiology that Melissa was doing, is doing, and and some of the tele-intervention, teletherapy that you know, Hannah and the team there are have been doing for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing them. Yeah. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, And just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can 
have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Okay, we want to welcome Hannah and Melissa to the podcast. Um, Tell us about who you are, where you're practicing at, and the good things that you guys are doing. Sure. I'll go first. I am Hannah Eskridge, and I am a speech pathologist and a listening spoken language specialist and the director at the Children's Cochlear Implant Center here at UNC. Um, yeah. And um, my name is Melissa Anderson, and I'm one of the audiologists at the Children's Cochlear Implant Center at UNC. So we know that you guys have been doing telepractice for quite some time. I think it was uh, Hannah, what project reach was the, is that the one that started? So, yeah, talk- so yeah. So we started um, doing telepractice um, back in 2012 and we called it UNC reach. I was trying to recall this morning what reach stood for and you know, thinking through we're coming. I was like, I don't remember exactly anymore. It's an acronym. It works. But um, so we started that in 2012, primarily mm-hmm. for uh, teletherapy for speech pathology and also for telecoaching. So working with professionals and early interventionists here in North Carolina to do coaching and mentoring. Right. And so how, how was that structured? You guys were seeing uh, families weekly and doing the parent coaching for those little ones? Yeah. When we first started, you know, I think we put a lot of, um, a lot of rules in place initially that I think we thought we needed. Um, We, you know, had rules about how often maybe we would travel out to see the families or they would travel out to see us. We didn't trust in the process of teletherapy alone. We, we put all these mm-hmm. kind of rules around that, but yeah, mostly weekly and all through family, family um, therapy. So uh, a caregiver somehow involved as well. And, um, you know, we slowly over time realized that teletherapy was, could be for any of our families. You know, first we thought, well, if they're over an hour away, it'll be for them or, mm-hmm. and we just realized over time that those kinds of, of rules and procedures around it weren't necessary. And it was more a, a family preference and like what worked for them over time. And, and so how has, has everything evolved since that project? Yeah. You know, I think back initially and, and we had, you know, great big polycom equipment mm-hmm. and you went into the room that was the teletherapy room and had to hook to the special equipment and, um, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And so I think one way it's involved is, you know, we all have more ways to connect virtually now, um, you know, as we're all connected here through Zoom. So we have a lot more um, options for our therapists to be doing therapy from home and, and really any kind of mechanism that they're on works. Of course, our families have tons of ways that they can connect. So I think it's evolved in that process in terms of therapy, I think also just, you know, our therapists believe in it and trust in it. Now, you know, we had to do, um, you know, we worked together, Todd, to do outcomes Mm -hmm. of those first Mm -hmm. groups of kids to make sure that this, this works for kids who are deaf and hard of hearing and our outcomes show that it, that it does. And, 
And so our, our team trusts in it and, and believes in it as a good option. Um, we don't worry quite as much as we used to about what materials do they have at home and, and some of those types of things. And have realized we can work with whatever they have and, and that's what they do have. And so um, I think we've evolved to just have a better understanding of, of how it works. Um, and like I said, less significance on maybe some certain hoops that need to be in place for it to be successful. That's great. And so with um, the therapy side, you guys have added audiology. Is that right, Melissa? Yes. So um, starting in 2017, I think there was a, a little bit of work on it before 2017, but 2017 was when I came into it. Um, we started with a tablet mapping program, mm-hmm. um, but then have grown that to um, kind of over the years and then somewhat in response to the pandemic to uh, um, we have partnership programs with audiologists um, at kind of various uh, parts of the state. Um, we have some ways we're doing some virtual screening for outcomes and how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a lot of virtual counseling and some virtual troubleshooting as well. You know, what's what's been fascinating to me, you know, before COVID, of course, um, BC, <laughs> before COVID, um, <laughs> uh, back in BC, um, what was interesting, and, and it still continues, but, you know, it's it's really been a lot of the hearing technology manufacturers were already on this bandwagon in terms of using technology for programming and doing things at a distance and uh, and getting audiologists and moving, I think, audiology in that direction. Um, would you would you agree with that, Melissa? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, the manufacturers, I think, are aware that there are a lot of families who have to drive really, really far to get to cochlear implant technology, and they've been looking for ways to help alleviate some of that stress on families. So, so describe how it's different from an audiologist perspective and how you're doing telepractice. How, how does you, how do you transition to doing things in a booth or in the office versus through distance technology? Yeah. And and one of the things you said, I think that the hardest thing to kind of let go of is that there is no sound booth. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as audiologists, we're very um, used to being able to control the environment that we're in. So we can be in a very, very quiet environment Mm -hmm. um, to really kind of work on things or see how someone's hearing, see how they're understanding. Um, And that is definitely not most people's homes. Um, So when you're doing things in the house, you do have to kind of be... um, understanding about the listing environment someone would be in and have to factor that into how you're providing care. Um, On top of that, when you look at programming, there's kind of two things that are really different in my mind. One is that the family um, or whoever is on that other end of the computer is the one who has to connect the devices to the computer. Um, So one thing I found hard is sometimes even in the office, you you know, you go to connect it, it doesn't quite connect. So you just like mm-hmm. unconnect it, reconnect it, or do those little troubleshooting things that I think we all kind of do instinctually. And when you have to walk someone through that, it can be very different. Um, so the second thing is with programming is um, how much more the patient and the family can see what you're doing on the programming screen. So um, when it comes down to trying to measure T's or even scaling, they're very aware of every little change that you're making because they're staring at it on a computer. Right, right. 
or a tablet. So I've had to do things where I've had to tell the patient like, nope, turn around. We're just not going to see each other right now because I need to do this where you can't see where I'm, what I'm doing. Um, and then you get a lot more questions I found from families kind of in response to that, like, why do their ears program differently? Or why is that one louder than the other one? It's like, well, you know, you kind of have to explain a little bit more, um, which is probably not a bad thing. Yeah, I was going to say with both of those problems that you brought up, there are advantages to them too. It's an advantage to like, see what their listening environment is really like at home. And there's an advantage to parents being more curious <laughs> about what's going on with the yes. programming too. Yes. Um, so it's the questions about programming have actually been pretty eye-opening to me because it was stuff that I think because I'm, I do co-grand plans all day long, every day, all I'm doing is looking at maps that you forget some of the things that parents maybe don't know. So it's been something even like for the patients that I'm seeing in clinic, it's like, oh, you know what? I should probably talk about this. Um, so it's been kind of eye-opening some of the things that when people are really like right in front of what a map looks like, the questions that they have. And how do you handle, uh, and this may be more for Hannah, because this is one of the things that I have um, uh, dealt with in recent months <laughs> is doing telepractice and you're connecting and the only thing the parents have is a phone. Yeah. Um, and you have a, they have video or you're just talking to them on the phone. No, you, they, they are watching you. Yeah. yeah. You have video. The They're phone. watching you, but they only have a phone, no computer, no tablet. Yes. Yes. So we, we definitely have um, a good number of families that that is the case. Mm -hmm. Um, are you saying how do what's what how do I handle that? Like what yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, usually one of the the two biggest problems with that I found is you know, trying to figure out if there's a way for the fam the family to put the phone somewhere where they're not holding the phone and trying to like mm -hmm. one hands the phone and you know, so trying to talk through like work through what that might even look like. What do they have that they could probably prop a phone up? It would seem silly, but having that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing is, sadly, a lot of kids have gotten pretty obsessed by phones. So, you know, mm -hmm. if the parent has the phone out, that's a major distractor towards um, the toys that we're you right. know, wanting to play with. So, you know, sometimes uh, we will do things like, okay, we'll put a piece of paper in front of the phone and try to, you know, cause you don't really need to see me at that moment. If I can see you, you know, I mean, some of those types of things, but uh, mm -hmm. it is more challenging. I, I try to just kind of roll with what my choices are because I feel like it's um, it's better than not being able to, to see them at all. You know, I was just uh, reading some stuff about sort of a, little article about the future of technology, you know, just trying to see where, where some of the experts, so to speak, are saying that, that technology is going and they talk about the phone and, and basically um, they think in the next five years, we will do everything through the phone. And that's, I mean, with all the apps we have now, and we certainly can do video through the phone you know, it's just a smaller screen. People access streaming Netflix through their phone. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's all there. And if you want something bigger, you connect the phone to something bigger. Um, 
and it, and it's for what this article was saying that the the phone is going to be the personal computer going forward and you'll have different interfaces with this little personal computer that will be very powerful but that will be sort of your communication device and everything else that you're doing yeah and well, i mean more people have a smartphone in the world than clean water so you know it's not it's really mm-hmm. not surprising that when we think about technology, we're going to keep moving more and more towards smartphones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess we have to get used to <laughs> the families only having smartphones and that's what we deal with. We need some like good, some good um, mounts or something for it. So we're not always like propping against a like stack of books or something like that. If that is what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Well, I think with teletherapy, you know, it's kind of interesting. You have a different look inside of a home, I think sometimes. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, our early interventionists that have been going into homes for years and years could have already been, been telling us some of this, but I think even sometimes more removed than going into the home is talking to someone on their phone because it feels that much more kind of familiar. I mean, you know, we have parents that answer and they're like, laying in the bed, you know, they're laying in the bed and they got their, you know, you're like, wow, this is really pretty um cozy here for this conversation. Very, very casual. Yep. I've very I've had casual. one on on the bed in the camper <laughs> too. So yes. yep. Yeah. Yes. So I'm like, yeah. well I'm glad you trust me enough to have me right there with you, I guess. <laughs> right. To share like we like you're sharing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I think we've all seen some interesting things when we're when we've connected to various homes um, that have been, especially in the past year, families who weren't kind of used to doing it and suddenly had to be online um, didn't sort of know how to deal with it. You know, and we had some other. Uh, it might have been you actually, or another guest who was talking about you know the the arguments from the parents that were happening out in the hallway while while you're doing therapy with uh, the child. Yep. I think it was me because the kid would have headphones on, which I felt like didn't cue the parent into that. I was there in the room. (laughs) So they would not realize that just because they couldn't hear me didn't mean that I couldn't hear them. (laughs) But yeah, I like, I like how you talked about though, that it is kind of, I don't, it is almost more personal than, cause I worked in early intervention too. And like you said, like they'd almost have a spot ready for you to come into the house and, you know, like they'd be prepared for you and things like that. And it almost does get, you know, it's like calling someone on a phone. You don't always plan on that or have things set up for someone to call you on the phone. So it does almost create that more casualness to it, which I hadn't thought about before. Um, but what advantages have you seen to like kind of that getting into their homes and into their environment? I actually have a, a good example for this. I have um, a little boy who I've been seeing for years. He comes into the clinic and he just doesn't talk. Like he sits in the booth, he'll do the the booth testing with the tones, but he just will not talk. And his mom was always like, no, he says all these things, but he just is very, very shy. So I did a telehealth session with him actually kind of shortly after the pandemic started. 
and we're on this video and he is telling me all about everything about his Power Rangers and his dog. And he's showing me around his house. He like took the phone and was like walking me all around the house. And it was so great just to hear all this language that his mom has been saying for years that he had. And it's like, <laughs> no, he has a lot of language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think putting a kid in a very comfortable environment, it wasn't this scary booth and, you know, um, that this like doctor's office, mm-hmm. it was um, just his house. And so he was just telling me all types of things. So it was really, really great to see. So mm-hmm. I actually have told his mother that like, we need to schedule his, like when he comes in, then like schedule a video visit, like right after, or right before, just so I can hear him talk. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was really cool to see. I had a, a very similar experience recently with a, a child who has hearing loss and and probably has autism as well, and just hated the hospital, didn't want to come in at all. And so uh, we connected to the home and did our assessment, but we, we started the session asking him to go get his favorite toy and tell us about his favorite toy. And that was all it took. He went and got his rock'em sock'em boxing toy <laughs> and boxed for a little while and explained who they were and how it worked and all this stuff. And, and from that point on, he did just fine. And we were able to get all the testing done that we needed. And, and the mom was sitting, you know, sitting behind him just crying. I mean, she was just weeping how, you know, cause she was worried that he wouldn't do this either. You know, if he did, cause he didn't want to go into the hospital and this would be more testing and, but he did fine. So, yeah, I think, some people don't realize the advantages along those lines that you sometimes see. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. And Hannah, what advantages have you seen with from the from the therapy side of things? Just in general, do you mean, or yeah, like during yeah. the pandemic, or either or? Um, I think that. Um, not always. For some families, you, of course, can see more consistency just because it's easier. Um, you know, I had one family that um, lived really far away, would have been too far for them to come to the clinic, but they were pretty consistent about coming on, even if kind of maybe one of them wasn't feeling great. I think something that would have been a very easy cancel, you know, in, but they were well enough to, to hop on to a, a, a session, um, not having to leave home. So I think Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of consistency related to, to therapy helps with teletherapy. Um, I mean, of course, you know, in March of 2020, you know, I, I was so gr- incredibly grateful that we had already been doing some of these things and we were, you know, really didn't miss a beat with most of our families, even the ones that were coming in. We just were able to say like, Hey, we've got a teletherapy program. You haven't been mm-hmm. doing it, but we're going to switch you right over to that. And um, mm-hmm. For some of our audiology patients that just really couldn't come in at that time, we felt like we still were able to support them. And so I, I feel like the advantages that continue to unfold from telehealth are just really um, just exponential. And, and, you know, I think it maybe Kim was saying earlier, it's, it's about, you know, access, right. And there's all these, mm-hmm. you know, kids, I mean, in North Carolina, there's only a couple of, you know, major cochlear implant centers and, but there's kids everywhere. And so mm-hmm. what does it look like to create, you know, equal access? Um, and, and telehealth is really the way to do that. I think um, in therapy, I really feel like we have um, all the things and tools we need to do that. 
Um, in audiology, there's a, a lot of awesome things. I mean, Melissa doesn't give herself credit. I mean, she really creatively came up with a ton of stuff during pandemic that I don't think mm-hmm. other people had even thought of doing for kids with cochlear implants mm-hmm. um, that are pretty amazing. And then, um, you know, we still need the technology for implants to get a little bit further in terms of mapping. You know, what can we do um, for mm-hmm. kids without having to mail them some kind of special tablet or have them go mm-hmm. to another center or something like that? So it's exciting what we're doing, but that is an area that I think there's a lot more that can be done in the future. Sure, sure. Excellent. Well, I think it's time to ask you guys some other questions. Are you ready? Sure. Sure. <laughs> she says. He likes to surprise people with it. And I'm like, da, da, da. So, so this is what Kim and I call our moment of Zen. So we just ask you some questions and you just uh, answer uh, any way that you want. You can have a short answer or a longer answer. What's whatever you feel like. Okay. But you both have to answer the question. That's the rule. Okay. What's the most used app on your phone? Um, probably uh, find find my find a friend because I'm searching for my teenagers. <laughs> That's a good answer. Okay, gotcha. Tracking and uh, stalking your teenagers. Okay, exactly. good. Melissa, mine's probably text messaging. I mean, I t- I'm texting people throughout various family members and friends who live all over so okay. text so it's really tender okay thank you okay <laughs> um so what's your favorite genre of music mine's probably classic rock classic okay what do you consider classic rock 60s and 70s okay okay <laughs> someone said classic rock and it was like early 2000s i was like what well, to them, that was classic, you know. No, it was young people. 60s, 70s rock. Probably what my kids say. My mom likes classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah? I don't have a great answer for this one. I'm kind of all over the place with music. I love music. Um, but so right now um, I'm listening to a lot. I mean, my, with, we listen to a lot of Taylor Swift in my house still, new and old Taylor Swift. But in the summertime, I also like to listen to a lot of, you know, more like um, Darius Rucker, Zach Brown Band, that kind of summertime music. So we're listening to a lot of that, too. Awesome. Uh, a favorite book, Melissa. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I read a lot. Um, favorite book. I can't like, you know, how when somebody asks you a question and you can't think of a single book you've ever read. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite books it's called Cleopatra's Daughter it is about Cleopatra's daughter that's probably one of my favorites okay Anna I'm like Melissa I love to read I have so many favorite books um, but I think I'll answer it kind of in a, a way that I think is a great book for, for people to pick up it's called Everything Belongs and it's by Richard Rohr and it's a great it's a great book I think it's, um, yeah, it's very insightful. I like it. Okay. Very good. Who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? 
I'm going to go with like, I think this is kind of a standard answer, but I mean it so much right now, I think, because I'll say the answer is my grandma. Um, Just where I am right now in life and and trying to make decisions and trying to, to raise, raise kids and trying to just navigate right now. I just would love to be able to ask my grandma questions that I didn't ask her when because I didn't know to ask her when she was, when she was still alive. So my grandma, I'd love to have dinner with her. That's great. Alyssa. I might kind of copy Hannah a bit and say, actually my great grandmother, we recently found some things of hers that have made me very reflective. And she, um, I actually got to have her for most of my life and was very close to her. So there's questions I think of having found some, some of her things I would love to, to learn more about. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary as in any way you want. I fell out of a raft on a class five rapid. That was pretty scary. I just went down there. That is pretty scary. That's mine. What was the scariest thing I've ever done? I don't know. I'm not a huge risk taker. I got nothing. Hannah, our our number one answer to this question is having children. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not that having, it's, like the, the, it's maybe and I haven't gotten past you know teenage year. It, oh, okay, I do actually have my answer now. Okay, it is riding in the passenger seat with my fifteen year olds <laughs> as they learn to drive. That is good one. Probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Well. Let me just tell you, with my two children, my wife tried to teach them how to drive, and it was she was just not able to do it. So I had to teach them both how to drive. It was she just could not handle it. I've already made that decision that it's not going to be me. (laughs) I can't handle it. It's very stressful. Uh, Next question is: Where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been? The farthest place I've ever been is Sydney, Australia. Nice. Nice. Very nice. I think the farthest place I've been is um, Bucharest, Romania. Very nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, If you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? I never know how to answer this question because I picked audiology when I was 12. Um, so I've been very focused on that forever. That's impressive. I don't think most 12 year olds know what an audiologist is. <laughs> right. I went to a, my mom dragged me to a dinner that an audiologist was giving a presentation and I was like, yep, that's it. That's what I want to do. I love it. That's great. So I have no idea what else I would do. Okay. Hannah. Well, I would love to, I would love to be a writer and see if I mm-hmm. could spend some time full time with that. Um, I would love to be, which is kind of like writing, but um, separate from that, some kind of like travel and we don't really blog anymore. What is it? Blogging. I don't know. Some kind of travel person that gets to travel and then just tell other people about traveling and that's their, their job. That seems pretty exciting. And, and Hannah, you are an excellent writer. I love reading the stuff that you post. You, I mean, for sure. Um, what's a pet peeve of yours? 
In the current moment, people that refuse to wear masks or get vaccinated. Very good answer. I'm going to echo that one. Okay. Very good. Very good. We are totally in support of vaccinations and masks on this show, on this podcast. Um, If you could create a new law that everyone had to follow, what would it be? Other than masks and vaccines. Other than masks, (laughs) right, and vaccinations. I'm hesitating because that feels like so much power. You don't want to waste it on, you know, you like want something really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One law that everyone had to follow. I mean, I can't kind of come up with a law exactly, but something around like some kind of way to um, create kindness online, like in the online space. I, I don't know. You can't say anything mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to limit people kind of having good discussion, but. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how it would be, but a, a law that creates more kindness. Online. Yeah, or you can't say it online if you wouldn't say it in person. Something like there that. You go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very good. Yeah. I was thinking about something in, related to kindness as well, but I couldn't quite put it in words. But how do we legalize? How do we legalize? Kindness? Right. 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 This is the no a hole law, right? Yes. <laughs> Just don't be an a-hole. Okay. Um, Last question. This is the big one. So if heaven exists, what would you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I think for me, it would be, here's all your loved ones. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Well done, my good and faithful servant. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So, guys, how can people reach out to you and get in touch with you at UNC if they have questions or they just want to just pick your brain about uh, some aspect of telepractice or audiology or AV therapy or whatever the case may be? You can certainly reach us through email. Um, My Mm -hmm. email is hannah.eskridge at unchealth.unc.edu. And both of our phone numbers is 919-419-1449. You can always call us um, or email us. Melissa, I'll let you give you our email. So I'm melissa.anderson at unchealth.unc.edu. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. And we wish you nothing but continued success in everything that you're doing. I really appreciate Hannah and Melissa giving us some time and joining us on the podcast. It is always wonderful to connect with my friends and colleagues at the UNC Cochlear Implant Program at UNC Chapel Hill. And the work that they are doing there is just phenomenal. I've had an opportunity to visit there on occasion and have always been impressed with what Hannah is doing and now adding the component Uh, teleaudiology over the past couple of years with the work that Melissa is doing. It's just phenomenal. So if you want to check out a really great state-of-the-art cochlear implant program, you might want to think about UNC Chapel Hill because they are among the best, in my opinion. And 
Thank you for joining us uh, as well on the podcast for this episode. And if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always, always helps us to attract new subscribers and to increase our listenership, which is what we're after. We want as many people as we can to hear this information and to understand what telepractice and telehealth can actually do for our patients, our clients that we're serving. We'll be back again next week. Until then, stay safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.